My little brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once, with like basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Today on the show, we talk about saving money with bicycling, even with a family. My guest is a man named Christopher Delaney, and he and his wife have two small children and manage all of their family transportation without a car. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets. I thank you for being here. Today is Tuesday, December 2nd, uh, 2014. And today, we're going to spend a little time on the saving money side of the equation. Talk about using bicycles as a form of transportation. One of the benefits is saving a bunch of money, but there are some other benefits as well. guest is a listener of the show. It's a man named Christopher Delaney, and he reached out to me and said, hey, if you're ever interested in doing some uh, doing a show on riding bikes, I would love to do that. And I responded right away to him and said, I would like to do a show on riding bikes because I'm totally intimidated by the idea, <laughs> but I'd love to find somebody who uh, who's done it. And he, he kind of described the situation. I said, this is perfect. And it's a great interview. It really is. It's an interview that's packed of information. No kind of like hardcore. I mean, it's, it is pretty hardcore. Christopher's pretty hardcore, but he's pretty down to earth. So he's easy to talk to and easy to listen to. And he shares some very practical advice about uh, using bicycles as transportation. This was something that I had also interviewed on the show, Tammy Strobel, and she's famous for writing a book, well, among other things, uh, from Rowdy Kitten. She had written the book on how to live car-free, but by the time we had our interview, it wasn't something that she really thought much about or talked much about, even though she and her husband used bicycles a lot. So I wanted to bring another resource. So here, I have an excellent show with Christopher Delaney. It's really it's really good. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for, uh, for being here today. A couple of quick announcements. We're back in the saddle here uh, after last week, kind of missing out again. I apologize to all of you for missing uh, two of those shows. Uh, I will... Again, I didn't. <laughs> I know. I know better. And I was thinking I got to create a really great show, but I had interviews lined up, and I just should have prioritized and adjusted differently to get the shows done. So I apologize for those of you that wondered where we went. We're back now, and I anticipate um, a full month of December. I've got a bunch of great interviews. I got a bunch of more topics. So I'm. Uh, we've got a lot to to cover here in December. I've been thinking about what changes and what adjustments to make uh, for next year, and I, I'm. So I'll talk more about that in the future. There are a lot of things I'd love to do, but it's just a matter of capacity uh, as far as what I'm able to do with things going forward. That's the that's always the challenge, the difference between what I'd like to do and what I'm able to do. I'm actually in conversations this week with uh, a potential sponsor that is the first sponsor that I've been able to find that I would feel good about introducing um, to you. We'll see if uh, we'll see how those talks go. We'll see if we can reach an agreement that I think is a win-win for everyone involved. Uh, but it, if it if it works out, it's basically trying to answer the question that many of you asked me: How do I find a good financial advisor? And it's a financial advisor vetting service, and I think it's the best one that's out there. Um, not perfect. 
but I think it's the best one that I've been able to find. So we'll see if that works. So stay tuned for the show. We're gonna have a great uh, we're gonna have a great December here. Thank you all so much for being here. Here is Christopher. So Christopher, welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. I appreciate being with me today. Absolutely. Thanks. Joshua, I'm uh, honored to be here. Awesome. So I'm excited uh, to talk about bicycling and bike riding as an alternative method of transportation. And I am a complete dunce when it comes to this topic, but I know that you are not. You and your family have been able to live successfully for at least some period of time without a car. And you said, yeah, I think you have two kids, right? Yeah, I have two little girls. Uh, one of them is two years old and the other one is about six months old. Awesome. So tell me your story as it surrounds your ability to use a bike for transportation. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, absolutely. I was, you know, my imagination was expanded greatly um, in about 2005 when I moved to Portland, Oregon. I grew up in Georgia and, you know, in the South, there's really no alternative to using a car to get around places. There's no public transportation, um, very little bicycle infrastructure, if any at all. And uh, I went to school in Alabama and got my first bike there. It was a mountain bike, and my roommate was uh, the one that introduced me to riding a bike to the grocery store or riding a bike to school or whatnot. Started doing that, uh, eventually decided it was time you know, to leave Alabama. And I moved West. I lived in Louisiana for a little bit. And then I moved to Colorado. I was a ski instructor for a little bit. And then I met some folks there that lived in Oregon and they invited me to come visit Portland. And so I went out there and fell in love with it. Um, you know, decided a couple months later to move to Portland and I, I sold my car that was back in Georgia and, uh, went to Oregon with my guitar and a backpack, basically. <laughs> nice. Um, when I got there, I found out the public transit was fantastic. You can take a train from the airport into the city. Uh, the bus system is great. And I used that for a while. And, and then I saw people riding bicycles around and decided, you know, that looks pretty fun. So I went on Craigslist. I found, you know, a cheap $150 bike that, you know, seemed all right. I didn't really know anything about bikes at that point and started riding my bike around town and, uh, you know, gradually went to more places. I was riding it to my school and then I started going to the grocery store and then I started, uh, you know, going to visit friends and going to restaurants and, and bars on the weekend and things like that. And my confidence level started to increase and, I started riding pretty much everywhere. That lasted me up until the point when I, I met my wife and we got married about four years later um, from when I had moved to Portland. She had a car and, and she, um, you know, she had a bicycle as well, but she wasn't riding her bike necessarily for transportation. It was more just for fun to, to meet friends at coffee shops or just ride around the neighborhood a little bit. And then when she met me, you know, I started rubbing off a little bit, you know, she would ride with me to a date night or a friend's house or something like that and started, you know, expanding her imagination about what was possible. And she really enjoyed it. Um, we moved right after we got married, we moved right away pretty much to Denver for a job. And in Denver, uh, we found out that we, I needed a car to get to my job. So, 
you know, obviously we kept, uh, the car that we had and shared it. And basically, you know, I would use it to get to work. And then my wife, um, had a bike that she would ride to just kind of get around the city there. Uh, we lived downtown and, you know, I tried riding to work on my bike. It was 25 miles each way. I worked at the airport and, you know, if you aren't familiar with Denver, the airport's 25 miles east of the city out in the middle of a bunch of farmland. Uh, it's very sparse and it was pretty dangerous in my opinion for me to ride my bike out there just because of the speeds that people were traveling on these two lane farm roads. Um, my coworkers would regularly brag about, you know, going 80, 90, hundred miles an hour on these back roads and catching air over, wow. uh, you know, little hills that existed out there. And so, you know, I was commuting when it was dark in the morning and I just decided, you know, it's not worth it. Um, you know, getting killed by one of my coworkers driving a hundred miles an hour on these farm roads. Um, and so I pretty much resigned myself to, um, to driving a car every day. I wasn't super excited about it, uh, but it was 25 miles each way, pretty impractical for a daily commute on a bike, mm -hmm. uh, to do 50 miles. Um, you know, on my wife and I's radar, we didn't have kids at the time. And, we wanted our life to be a little bit more localized where everything was, you know, within five or 10 miles and we didn't have to necessarily use a car. We started talking about what we would do when we got a family and we had seen online and a few times in person, this bike called a cargo bike. And it has a, a large box in the front. Uh, it's you know typically known as a box feats. Um, it came from Europe and there are a couple of folks who make them here in, in the United States. And so we started talking to the people, uh, here in, in Oregon who made it, the company was called Metrofeats. We got our hands on one to test ride and absolutely fell in love with the bike. And we said, you know, when we have kids, we would love to get one of these bikes and that would really help us continue to get around the city, but also reduce our dependence on the car that we had. And while we were in Denver, we had our first child, uh, and we started strategizing how we could get the bike at that time, you know, we couldn't really afford it. So we had to wait. And then we ended up moving to Wyoming. Uh, we moved to Casper, Wyoming. It's a small town, dead center of the state, about 50,000 people live there and moved there for a job. And that's when we really started considering selling our car, becoming car free and buying one of these bikes. It, uh, in April of 2013, my wife said she was ready and she was willing to at least try this as an experiment. And, you know, I'm pretty confident and motivated about, you know, using bikes for transportation, but I really didn't want to pressure her into that. I wanted her to come to that on her own. And so I just patiently waited for, you know, a couple of years after we were married until she was like, you know, I'm, I think I'm ready to try this and I'm really on board. So we sold our car and we got a Metro Feats cargo bike and we started living car free in Casper, Wyoming. It was an amazing experience. We both fell in love with it right off the bat. We really enjoyed getting around with our daughter in the bike. Um, she was a little over one years old when we, when we first started riding with her in the bike I think she was maybe one and a half or two. Um, and then 
in January of this year, we moved back to Portland, which is my wife's hometown. And, you know, we've been living car free here as well. Um, you know, in addition to the bike, we also use the Zipcar membership, which is a car sharing program that allows us to have access to a car if we need it. Um, and, you know, it's been pretty enjoyable and, and relatively easy for us, to be honest. Um, but that's a little bit about our story there. So, you, I mean, you've got some credibility here. How long has, how long has it been since you actually sold your car in Wyoming, when you were living in Wyoming? Two, two years? Uh, almost. I mean, I okay. think it's been about a year and a half that we've been car-free as a family. Uh, me, me personally, you know, I've been car-free for the majority of the last decade. I think, you know, I had a car after I met my wife and we moved to Denver for two years. But, um, you know, after selling that, we... Um, you know, we've been car free for maybe a, about a year and a half. And also you've been able to, to live with one car for the, the entirety of your marriage. So even mm-hmm. if, you know, even if, even if many families just switch to having one car, I know that's what my wife and I uh, have done. I, I couldn't see and still can't see any way that in where we live. And I think the biggest County in the United States with a very, distributed spread out lifestyle i couldn't see any way to do without one car with excuse me without a car but even just going from two to one saved me so much time and hassle of of fixing the thing and getting oil changes and i was glad to get rid of that second car absolutely if i could figure it out i'd get rid of the first one but i I haven't been been able to figure that out it's tough and i think it has to do with it's not an all or nothing decision Uh, i think that would be more detrimental for people to make that as an all or nothing decision. It's more of a reduction mindset. So, you know, finding ways that you can reduce your dependence on that because it sucks so much money out of your life. You know, AAA says it costs $9,000 a year to own and maintain a vehicle, right? uh, not including car payments. And that was in 2013, I think, when that came out, 2012, maybe. Uh, So with inflation, you know, that number only keeps growing. But you know, $9,000 a year is significant. And if you can start thinking about ways to reduce your dependence on that and to be creative in structuring your life so you don't necessarily need the car as much, um, those things are definitely positive. Um, and it can help people make a transition there when you view it as, you know, incremental, small incremental changes. Right. So I've heard of Portland being a bike mecca, but I haven't heard of Casper, Wyoming being a biking mecca. Uh, uh, What's the difference between living in a place, and I I assume I'm right about that, but what's the difference between living in a place where there is a a well-established infrastructure versus a place where I'm assuming there's not? Mm -hmm. I personally think it's about the same um, because... When we were in Casper, there there might have been, out of the 50,000 people that live there, there might have been 10 people, and that's being extremely generous, using a bike for transportation. Uh-huh. Uh, and I knew probably half of those folks. <laughs> I, I, you know, I could see folks riding around, and, you know, there's only 10 of us out of 50,000. So it, it was less than 1%. In Portland, about 6 to 10% of the population uses a bike on a daily basis for transportation, which wow. is significant. Wow. But the 90% that don't are the same as, as the 99% or the 100% of people in Casper. So 
the the attitudes of the city, the attitudes of the drivers are largely the same regardless wherever you live. Um, you know, auto culture in the United States is very much considered an entitlement. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, being in Casper and riding a bike to me is no different. It doesn't take any more confidence or any less confidence than it takes to ride a bike on the streets in Portland. Um, you're, you're still up against pretty much the same, uh, the same barriers, the same challenges, whether, you know, uh, aggressive drivers, city streets that don't support everybody using them. They only support one type of transportation. Um, that's, that's what I found. I mean, it is in a sense easier here in Portland, but, um, but not significantly, I don't think. Why do you do it? Is this is this like your crusade, you know, to support your uh, like a political belief or personal values, or is this just because you like being frugal and don't like spending money on a hunk of metal that sits in the in the garage? Why do you do it? Yeah, it's a little bit of both of those things. We have my wife and I have a very strong values attachment to this decision, but then at the same time, when we actually calculated our finances, we found out that we would save seven hundred dollars a month by getting rid of our car. And so there's a huge financial benefit to making that decision. Um, you know, and that's a composite number. It's different for a lot of people, but for us, we had a car payment, we had insurance, we had gas, and then we were budgeting money every month for maintenance because for whatever reason, the car that we had was sucking, uh, the maintenance life out of us. (laughs) Um, it was ridiculous. In any case, we decided, you know, 700 was about what we were saving every month on that. Um, there also was a very strong values commitment because we're, my wife and I have both, you know, spent time traveling internationally. We're very sensitive to the relationship between, you know, American foreign policy and, you know, resource extraction, i.e. oil, mm-hmm. um, or what it what it takes to, to get that. Um, you know, there's another thing too. I grew up in, um, a a pretty conservative religious family where you hear the term pro-life thrown around a lot. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that my wife and I were very passionate about is, you know, people, there's about 46,000 people a year that die in the United States from, uh, automobile collisions. And that number, uh, the UN says that's 1.4 million people per year in the world. And we thought that that was a pro-life issue. Um, you know, decreasing our car use, uh, in part was because we, we want to prevent the causes of, um, of death. And that's one of the, the highest causes of death worldwide, you know, from the externalities of it, when you look at things like uh, climate change, when you look at uh, the actual automobile collisions that are killing people, you look at the uh, the intoxication uh, deaths that are caused by you know people walking, riding bikes, and driving cars that are intoxicated. Um, that was one thing. Another thing, you know, we we definitely wanted to stop contributing money to this um, global war for resources and global war for oil. And 
you know, we're not to the point where we're going to stop paying our taxes, but we did want to, to vote with our dollar as it were mm -hmm. and stop giving money to the, the corporations and the governments that are uh, creating these environments. I like that. It's nice to hear somebody integrate fully pro-life. It's one of the one things that always bugs me because I, I am profoundly, as a person, I am profoundly pro-life in every way. And it, it so bugs me when, you know, if, if, if somebody is, dis, you know, if, if somebody says, well, I'm, I'm pro-life in terms of taking care of the babies, but, you know, we can kill all the other people on the other side of the world for useless, stupid reasons. Well, sure. wait a second. Why don't you be a little consistent here? Why don't Absolutely. you be consistent with your beliefs and you're either pro-life or you're pro-death? And so well, and, we have this odd mixture. <laughs> Yeah, when people look at, at things factually, you know, take Ebola, for example, that's killed at high estimates around maybe 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with automobile culture and design and the way that we're using that technology, it kills 1.4 million people per year, and that number is growing. What's the, what's the more dire situation that we need to address as a global community, you know? Not saying Ebola is not important, but if we were to look at the actual the danger factor involved, uh, you know, I'm a pilot as well, and everybody, you know, knows the uh, the little statement. You know, you're more likely to die on the way to the airport than you are actually in a plane crash. Um, you know, providing evidence that it is way more dangerous to to ride in a car or to drive a car than it is to you know, fly in this metal tube at 30,000 feet across the world. Right, right. Um, I think that was something interesting. And, you know, I'm a pretty passionate person. And so I was very motivated um, not to just talk about being pro-life, but to incorporate that into as many areas of my life as I could. And, you know, this seemed to be a very natural uh, output for that. I like that. And the cool thing is, is it, it serves your own self-interest too. You're healthier mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're richer and you can support Absolutely, your values. Yeah. It's nice when it's nice when those things line up together. Sometimes you have to, you know, impoverish yourself a little bit maybe to stand up for some of your some of your views and opinions and to fight for what you perceive to be right. But it's nice when you can fight for what you perceive to be right and it puts money in your pocket too. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So I am a, am a novice when it comes to riding a bicycle. You know, obviously I was a kid, grew up riding one, but I never even considered, uh, I never considered using a bicycle as transportation. A bicycle was just always something fun. And then where my living situation and where I live in, in Palm Beach County, Florida, it is one of the most, uh, one of the most spread out counties i think in the country I, I can't remember but it might be the biggest county in the country or it might be maybe maybe not i don't know but it's, it's a pretty large one so i've always commuted i always lived when i was growing up 20 miles from from my school and and it just always commuted never even considered riding a bicycle until um my wife and i were married and i started living in downtown west palm and i hadn't had a bicycle for years and then i needed i decided, we decided to get one so we could go on bike rides together she had one that was left over from about 6th grade and so we went down to walmart and i got a 99 dollar special on a on a beach cruiser a larger tired beach cruiser which was a little bit more suitable for my and i'm about 66 so uh, but what i found is that it was cool and it was pretty cool to be able to ride it around west palm we'd ride it down to the beach we'd ride it uh, you know 
the green market on Saturday morning. We'd ride down on you know Thursday night to the bookstore. Sometimes we'd walk. Sometimes we'd ride. But we wound up riding it a lot. And then when we moved out to Palm Beach Gardens, we continued riding it. And then I wound up, uh, it got stolen for reasons that, uh, <laughs> uh, well, actually, I'll tell the story because this is kind of interesting. I rode it to the mall for, uh, we live fairly near a mall. And so I rode, I tried to ride my bike to, instead of having to use the car. And I, I locked it one day. There were no bike racks. So I locked it to a railing and I came back and the bike was gone. And I deduced that it hadn't been stolen. It had been it had been clipped by the uh, security guards. So I went and went after him, and I found the bike and got them to actually, um, <laughs> which is pretty cool. I got them to actually pay me the twenty bucks for the bike lock that they chopped because there were no bike wow. racks there. And so they gave me the bike, and <laughs> the head of security was so annoyed at me, he gave me twenty bucks from his desk to buy myself another bike lock. And then I rode it to my office the next day, and I didn't have a bike lock, and I, I was lazy about getting one. And three days later, it disappeared from my office. So I am now bike and have been for a year or so. I just switched to walking to work instead of biking to work. Um, but but what I realized was that my cruiser was not the optimal choice for transportation. It was uh-huh. it was slow and the tires were so fat it wasn't very good. And I realized I know nothing about bicycles. So if I were interested, since you've done this a little bit, if I were interested in actually you know, saying I, I, I'd like to get a bike that would actually be useful and practical. I'm not sure about commuting every day. I'm not sure about being a nut like you and driving what you say 25 miles to to the airport in Denver. But um, you know, I'm interested in getting a bicycle. What? Uh, where would I start? And what advice would you have for me as a novice uh, person who rides a bicycle? Yeah, totally. There's a a paradigm shift uh, for most people that would be a good place to start. So when you're looking at a bicycle in the United States, uh, a lot of people in their head are thinking recreation. Mm-hmm. And so when you make the switch to wanting to use a bike for transportation, you kind of have to think about things a little bit differently. So uh, I like to use the car paradigm as, as an example. Would you buy a car sight unseen offline? Probably not. Right. Would you buy a car from a real seedy used car dealer, you know, on in the bad part of town next to the payday loan office and, uh, you know, the video poker establishment? <laughs> not if you listen to Joshua's show and have an ounce of common sense. <laughs> sure. Probably not. You know, any when you, you know, people say when you start seeing strip clubs and uh, payday loans, you know, you're in a part of town that's just going to be you know, trying to take advantage of you. Right. And so that's where all the used car dealerships pop up. And if you walk into one of those places, you're just asking to be taken advantage of, unfortunately. Um, most people that are going to buy a car, um, you know, would do their research. They would, uh, you know, connect with a mechanic potentially if they don't know what they're doing, because that way when they find something used, they can get it evaluated. And then if you're looking at purchasing something new, um, which I know is not very popular in the community that we're in, but right. you would you would go do your research on a uh, dealership and find one that is reputable that's going to stand behind their uh, their vehicle, possibly offer a warranty as a part of that. All of those same considerations would apply to purchasing a bicycle for transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be significantly less money, so it's not there's not as much pressure on the purchase. Um, so, you know, some basic things. Now, uh, bike shops are offering 
loans for bikes or credit cards with their company, I wouldn't recommend going into debt for this at all. Um, you know, first off, if you have a bike, ride what you have. If you don't have a bike, buying something used is, is a good idea. Spending as little money as possible for something quality. So just like with a car, the first thing I do is, uh, find a bike shop who will do a used bike evaluation for you. Very common. Pretty much all bike shops will do it. All mechanics will do it. Um, that's probably the first thing I do is find a bike shop and make sure that, that they will be able to do an evaluation on a used bike. Then get on, on Craigslist or whatever your you know online marketplace is in your city and find something. Uh, local is preferable because then you can have it checked out. I, I would stay away from buying anything online. Uh, I would stay away from buying anything from Walmart. Walmart for bikes is the same thing as a, a CD used car dealer in the bad part of town. Right. Um, I learned that with and, my I learned that with my cruiser because yeah. you know it looked all fancy and shiny and I'm like ah it's cheap and it's great and then I got it home and I parked it underneath an overhang and three days later all everything that wasn't the fancy shiny chrome frame was rusting and nothing <laughs> just they started falling apart almost immediately <laughs> so I recognized there's a little bit of a difference in quality between uh, a Walmart bike versus what I would assume somebody else would be able to ride every day. Yeah, when you buy a bike from a from a department store like Walmart uh, or the mall or whatever it happens to be, the person putting that bike together is not a mechanic and they have no knowledge whatsoever of what that bike needs to be safe. Um, and, you know, it may sound a little harsh and I don't mean it uh, as, um, you know, a critique on, on the people that work in those establishments. I'm just speaking from experience that that's usually not a good idea because right. the, the bike is a machine and you wouldn't let a, a grocery store employee, you know, fix your car. Right. Uh, for the same reason, I wouldn't let a Walmart employee build my bike. Right. Um, there are some safety considerations in that. Uh, so a good starting place, you know, connect with a shop, find something used and do it. Now, if you, if you have the money and you want to get a new bike, that would definitely work uh, in your favor because you'll rule out a lot of the mechanical problems that you'd have. Uh, most bike shops in America are oriented towards recreation and, um, and fitness, and so they're not necessarily oriented towards transportation. If you live in a, a larger urban area, you, you might be able to find a shop that is oriented towards transportation. Cities like Minneapolis, Austin, Denver, Portland, Seattle, L.A., New York City, uh, those are ones that come to mind that I know have transportation-oriented bike shops. Every other city in the country is going to have a bike shop more than likely, and the sales staff is not necessarily going to know uh, what is going to work well in a transportational sense. So you'll need to do a little bit of internet research to find out you know, what brands they offer and then what bikes within that brand work well for transportation. Some basic questions that you want to ask when you go in. Make sure you say up front that you're looking to use this for transportation. Um, be ready for some really silly reactions. People, you know, uh, they might congratulate you and, and say, we're really excited that you're taking this step. Or they might say, that's impossible. There's no way that's going to work safely. <laughs> Don't listen to any of the negative talk unless the person is knowledgeable, um, you know, saying, stay away from this part of town or 
use these streets. If that's the kind of feedback you're getting, it's excellent. But if it's like globally negative, like this is never going to work. This is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Completely ignore it. In any case, look for a bike that has uh, the ability or already installed fenders and uh, a front or rear rack. Usually a bike that will have those elements will be good. Uh, something, uh, things that are preferred are large tires and disc brakes. Those are, they work really well for transportation bikes. Um, not a necessity, but, uh, definitely preferred. And then you're going to want to make sure that you, you budget a little bit of money for accessories. So, uh, whatever your budget is, take 75% of that, spend it on the bike, take the other 25% and you'll need to buy, um, at the minimum, uh, uh, front light and a rear light, uh, white and red respectively, and a U-lock, um, something that looks like a U or a D, those are the most secure. And then if you've got a little bit of extra money on top of that, I'd look to buy waterproof bags and a rear view mirror. And the rear view mirror can attach to your bike or a helmet if you choose to wear one. Um, yeah, I'd, so, I gotta imagine with biking, the gear makes all the difference in the world. Just as simple, you know, simple as having a yeah. ba- basket, uh, you know. So if you, you have something to put, or a, or like I said, a bag to strap stuff to, mm-hmm. uh, that makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely, and there's so many choices. I mean, there's if you're a basket person and you want a basket up front to just toss your your purse or your backpack in, that's really easy. Uh, if you like the waterproof bags that can strap onto your rack, that's really easy too, and they're there are lots of great choices for that, uh, but there's no reason to buy all of that up front. Just the lights and the lock are really what you need. Um, is so probably also though. I mean, should you steer away from things like fat tires, like mountain bikes? I would imagine are probably suboptimal if you're if unless you're riding up and down a mountain. So you should probably get something with skinny tires if you're going to be on roads. Is that right? Not necessarily. I would actually prefer not to ride on skinny tires. My tires right now are um, the the thickness of a mountain bike tire, but they have they don't have the little knobs on them for the um, like what mountain bike tires would have on it. Okay. Uh, they're smooth and they have a little bit of siping, so they kind of look like uh, a smaller motorcycle tire, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on where you live. You know, I've met people that commute daily in Alaska and, and they need a, what, what's called a fat bike where it has these huge tires on it that run at really low pressure and they ride over gravel and dirt and whatever. It depends on what the safest way to get where you're going, what it looks like, you know, for some people, you know, I've spent a lot of time in, in the South in Florida, Georgia and Alabama, you know, there are a lot of, uh, unpaved dirt paths that go places and it just depends on that's why i like recommending buying a used bike first because then you find out what you actually need and you can make sure like if you start off with a skinny tire bike and you find out wow the easiest way for me to get to work is to ride a little bit on this on this dirt path then when you actually buy a bike new you'll get one that that fits your needs a little bit better. Right. Do brands matter? Or there, is there a specific brand that you should look for that, that's a good entry-level brand? Or, or does, does that just matter as far as what the bike shop actually carries? So branding is important only to the extent of the support from the manufacturer. Um, most bicycles that are sold in the world are either made in, in China or Taiwan. Uh, those are 
really the only two uh, places in the world. Now, you can buy an American-made bike, but it, it will cost you thousands of dollars and uh, be a little bit impractical for folks who are starting off. Uh, there, bikes that are made in Taiwan are typically superior to bikes that are made in China. Um, I would steer away from anything carbon fiber. Uh, that will not benefit you in any way. Um, and brands, I mean, this kind of goes back to the, the Walmart discussion. Brands usually partner with the shop to provide support for that bike. So, for example, if you went with a larger brand like Specialized or Trek or Felt, um, Raleigh, you know, it, there's maybe 10 well-respected manufacturers for bikes in the United States they will offer excellent support for that bike. So if something breaks on it, it can be warrantied. If you crash and you need to replace the bike, a lot of times they'll offer loyalty programs to replace the parts, even though it was your fault and it wasn't theirs. So that kind of support is really invaluable to someone, uh, especially if you don't have mechanical knowledge. Developing a relationship with a bike shop uh, is very important because they can help support you um, you know, flat tires, mechanical issues. Um, you know, sometimes you'll be able to find like riding support and group rides that will help you get a little bit more comfortable on the road, riding with cars with other people who know what they're doing and they can help give you those skills. So those are all the things that come with a brand. Um, usually brands are exclusive at certain bike shops. So like one shop will only sell Trek. Another shop will only sell specialized and they, um, the way that the manufacturers develop their relationships with bike shops is they kind of mandate that orientation. Um, but you know, it's important for the support aspect of it for the actual rideability of the bike. They're pretty much all the same. Um, they all have a chain, they all have gears and they all have wheels. Um, you know, that's basically what you need. There's no reason to overcomplicate that. Um, you know, pretty much all bike shops are going to sell essentially the same thing. You're basically buying into, you know, that brand support. So when you're looking for a bike, you can go to a variety of bike shops and try things out, ride as many bikes as you want. And, and bike shops are always happy to have people go in and test ride things. And that would give you more of an idea of kind of what you're drawn to, what style of bike you're drawn to. Is there a price range that if I were shopping for a bike for transportation that I would want to, you know, for a new one, I'm sure used, used ones will vary, but is there a price range that would be maybe a, a reasonable entry-level price range to consider? Yeah, if you're buying a bike used, I would expect to spend around $500 for something that's high enough quality to use it for transportation. Um, if you're buying a bike new, I would expect to spend around $1,000. And it puts you kind of in the middle bracket of what a bike shop will, will offer. You don't necessarily want to buy the cheapest thing possible. Um, the cheapest thing possible is designed for someone who will occasionally use their bike, maybe a couple times a year to ride with on, on a trail with family. Maybe the grandkids come and you pull the bikes out and everybody goes out for one day a year. Uh, the cheapest bike is designed for that individual in, in the mid range you're going to find a lot of bikes that are good for everyday use, but that aren't so nice that you're afraid of it getting damaged or stolen or broken. Um, 
the quality of the components is important when buying a bike for transportation. So I would expect to say $1,000 is reasonable uh, to get something that's that's decent, durable quality, but also something that is not so nice where you have to be afraid of, you know, locking it up outside the movie theater or something. All right. That, for me, it was, uh, I was a slap in the face when I walked into a bike shop one time and here I am, I'm in the $99 Walmart special mindset. <laughs> and all of a sudden I go in and it's a thousand bucks and I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't even conceive of it. But I mean, I can totally see you're exactly right. If there's a big difference between how I often in the past used a bike where it's, you know, a couple times a year, you brush it off and drive, ride a few miles versus a, uh, versus a, you know, something that's designed to be used on a daily basis. And I learned yeah, that. Totally. My, I learned my lesson with my $99 special when stuff was breaking on it. And it's just, you know, I rode it more frequently than any bike I ever had and it fell apart. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to think about it in terms of how important, um, like where you're going is. So I ride to work every day. Um, it's really, I, you know, I am a responsible employee. I don't like to show up late and, um, I, I don't like to call in sick and things like that. So if I'm going to ride my bike in, I still want to be an excellent employee and I don't want any of those things to get in the way. So I have really nice, you know, rather expensive tires I've invested a lot in that don't get flat, uh, really at all. Um, you know, I have over 10,000 miles on one pair of tires and never had a flat, Wow, which is great. Uh, and if you spend the money to invest in quality parts in certain areas of the bike, um, you can trust in that. Like I, I will leave, um, a little bit more early than I normally would had I been driving to give myself some time just in case I get a flat or something happens, I'll have time to catch a bus or call a friend to get to work just in case something happens. And it never has happened. Uh, I've never had to, um, you know, call in sick or call a friend or whatever, but I like to know that I've built some extra time into my schedule. So it's not going to affect, uh, getting to work on time. So when you think about it that way, you, you don't want to skimp on the money, like skimping on the, on the money side of things or skimping on the durability, sacrificing that could, sacrifice another relationship that you have that depends on on you transporting yourself there uh if you're just using it to go to the grocery store obviously at that point you could you know afford to skimp a little bit on durability because what are the consequences of you not making it to the grocery store not that great you know um no one's depending on you to be there it doesn't mark negatively on your career if you if you don't get there on time. So if that's your goal, then you don't need something as expensive or as durable. But for me, you know, my work bike, just to give you an example, it costs, uh, with all the things I have on it, it costs about $2,000. Um, and I have a, a generator hub in the front that, that generates electricity when I pedal. And so it powers all of my lighting. So I never have to change batteries and it's always on. Um, I've got a rack with waterproof bags. I have a Bluetooth speaker that connects to my phone so I can listen to podcasts and the radio uh, and, you know, make and receive phone calls while I'm riding my bike. Um, you know, those are some of the things that help make that, uh, that choice and that lifestyle a little bit easier. And the cool thing is I remember reading, I think it was Jacob Lund Fisker wrote an article and he just talked about how 
you know, if you're going to have the best car on the road, <laughs> it's going to take a lot of money. But to have mm-hmm. the best bike on the road, any normal middle class person could easily afford it, especially if it's their primary or at least, you know, replacing one of their cars. You go from a $5,000 car that's kind of middle of the road, you know, pretty cheap car most people would consider to a top of the line bicycle for 2000 bucks. You're still saving money. And yeah. the, the riding experience, the enjoyment of it would would probably be substantially better by having something really nice uh, as compared to so 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 it allows you to make that make that switch away from the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you make that choice on a bicycle, it makes the price a little bit easier when it's a one-time thing. You know, you buy a car, say a, a new car for 30 or $40,000, that car still needs you to put, you know, $100 per gas tank in that thing to actually run. When you buy a bike, that's a one-time cost. Like that will always um, continue to work as long as you take care of it, and so uh, it removes that embedded cost or the need for anything else to make it go. You just have to, you know, eat more burritos, um, right? <laughs> you know, whatever it is. You know, they say miles per burrito instead of miles per hour. Um, so, how do you do this with kids? So, you've got two young kids, and what are some tips and tricks for for being able to do this with kids successfully? Yeah, that is that is considerably more challenging, and there are a lot of resources out there to help folks. Um, I know it's kind of hackneyed, but we always point towards uh, the European model in, say, Holland and and Denmark, because they have been doing this for uh, a lot longer, and they ride with kids, no problem. So we look at their model. And a lot of them have special bikes designed to fit a child on them. Um, when you adapt a bicycle uh, that we you know, normally have, that's normally found in the United States, to carry kids, it doesn't necessarily make it functional for transportation because just the weight of adding a child to a regular adult bicycle eliminates the ability to carry actual cargo. So mm-hmm. you might be able to carry your child, but then you can't carry grocery bags and you know, all the things that come with a child that you have to carry as well, you know, um, diapers and spare clothes and wipes and food and all these other things are extra. So when you look at the European model, they have special bikes that are designed to carry children. Uh, a couple types of those, there's a, a tricycle model with two wheels up front and one wheel in the back. And then it's got a big bucket, uh, in the front. That's one. Um, I don't necessarily prefer that, but it's definitely an option. And then there's uh, a company that makes an extension to the back of an adult bicycle called an extra cycle. Uh, That's the style of bike called a long tail. Those are nice because kids can sit on the back and you have these two large bags uh, that you can put things in. And then there's the box feet style where you have this big box up front and it only has two wheels. You steer with a there's a steering linkage that goes underneath the box and connects to the front wheel. Um, it probably sounds weird hearing that described, but when you see it, if you Google, uh, or I'm sorry, if you duck, duck, go, a box. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, I know what we're trying to do here. Um, if you, if you uh, search for the box feet style, it'll pop up and you'll, you'll see a picture of it and it'll make sense. They're not that hard to ride. Uh, but you know, when, when riding with kids, the first consideration everybody has, and justifiably so, is, is it safe? And 
Um, that's very important. You need to be confident riding your normal route around your city before you want to carry your children. Uh, you want to know where the safe streets are. And safe streets are usually streets that have lower speed limits, ideally somewhere around 15 to 20. Uh, if, you're, if you're location, and I know, you know, being raised in the South, I know very few streets have that kind of uh, speed limit. Um, in grid cities, larger cities that have a, you know, a well-established kind of historic grid, you're going to find lower speed limits just by design. Um, those are going to be a little bit easier. But be confident riding in your context before you add a child to that. Then when you do add children to that, um, you want to make sure that, that they're safe and that you can see them um, and that they're strapped in. A lot of places mandate helmet use for kids, which you know, is a great thing. Uh, so say here in Portland, any, any child I think under 12 has to wear a helmet. So those are just the basics. You, uh, m both of my, uh, you know, our, our six month old is in a car seat strapped into our box. I've actually screwed attachments in there and locked her car seat down to it. Uh, our other child is in a, a five point harness style. Maybe you can include a picture of our setup, uh, in the show notes. Yeah, I'll make sure. To do um, that. but that's just one thing among many. You want to be able to carry all of your gear comfortably and be able to maneuver yourself on the bike. So like carrying three kids with a, a 50 pound backpack, not a good idea. Um, you want to be able to comfortably get on and off the bike. Um, I like riding with a rear view mirror because you can increase your situational awareness and know what's going on around you. That's really important, uh, for safety. Um, but all of the safety things taken, you know, when, once you get that taken care of, it's really, really, really fun. And that's one of the biggest reasons that we love getting around as a family on the bike. My kids love it. Um, my two-year-old is always so excited to get on the bike. She sees the world in a different way, and, and she gets to interact with us uh, in a way that she couldn't if she were you know, strapped into a car seat or whatnot. She can turn around. We can look at each other. Right. Uh, we can carry on conversations. We listen to music. Uh, you know, she loves the frozen soundtrack. So we got that playing on the Bluetooth speaker <laughs> and we're going down the road singing frozen as loud as we can. It's, it's a really fun experience. Um, <laughs> and it, it's interactive. You know, if you're driving in the car and your child is screaming and going nuts, uh, it's very difficult to remedy that situation. Uh, you know, if we're going down the road on the bike and my daughter, starts having a meltdown, we can just pull over and figure out what it is. She's right. like, Oh, I dropped, I dropped my toy. Cool. I'll pull over, pick it up, give it back to her. And we're back on the road and everybody's happy. Um, it, it's just more interactive. You didn't mention bike trailers. Do you use a trailer at all ever? I don't. And that was one of the main reasons that we got the box bike. Um, trailers, you know, trailers are designed for the recreational side of things. Um, if you're riding, you know, if you look at any trailer website, uh, they're going to show people on a recreational trail, not around cars, um, going rather slow when it's sunny and beautiful outside. Um, and those are, that's how a trailer is really designed. When you use it for transportation, 
personally, I don't think it's very safe um, because the child is not connected to your bike other than, you know, this, this small connector that, that uh, attaches to the axle. Uh, that makes me a little uncomfortable. It also is extended way past the bike in the back. Uh, and sometimes folks don't see that they might see, like if someone's driving behind you, they might see you on a bike, but they don't see the trailer, which is much lower than you. Uh, and there have been instances of people, you know, getting rear ended from behind because the person didn't see the trailer, but Mm. you know, they saw the person on the bike. Um, and also it separates you from your kids so you can't really have a conversation. You can't really talk. They just kind of sit back there and wait, wait till you get to whatever your destination is. Right. Um, you know, it's a great way to make your kid fall asleep if you want. Um, I know, they just, that, that makes sense to me as far as kids. I did you find, uh, I had a trailer for my bike before it was stolen and I would use it to go to the grocery store and I did find it was kind of an, e- it's an easy entryway with my $99 Walmart special and I, yeah, yeah. I got a trailer from my brother and just stuck the thing on there and I was able to go and haul my load of groceries and I felt, I felt pretty crunchy. It was pretty funny going to the grocery store where I live and uh, I could get good parking. Uh, the bike rack was empty and I would park right in front of the store and just stick my trailer there on the on the sidewalk which probably in biking places is a problem but then it was kind of fun to go out to uh to go out with the the Publix guy and load the load the bags of groceries into my trailer and he said are you serious (laughs) so it was a good entryway to actually using a bike to haul some cargo (laughs) that's great and i love it for cargo um they're they're not designed for that either and so sometimes cargo can be really unstable in a trailer uh, but there are specific trailers designed for cargo. I just am I'm not that supportive of carrying children in a trailer. Sure, sure. And I, I understand For why. transportation. Now, if you're doing it on trails on the weekend for recreation and it's beautiful and sunny outside, that's one thing. But it, it, it's not that great for all types of weather. It's not that great for riding on the road with, with cars. It's not that visible and people aren't accustomed to looking for it. So... Those are the things that I, um, you know, I would definitely encourage folks away from a trailer for a long-term plan. You know, short-term plan, yeah, it's great and easy to get into it, but um, long-term, I, I don't think it's the best um, or most ideal way to carry children on a bike. Last question I got, and then I'll let you give it some thought, just see if there's anything else you want to share. But a few years ago, I was in China, and I noticed two things when I was there. Number one is there's a massive number of scooters. And it was pretty cool to see, I mean, there's just bazillions of, of little itty bitty scooters and they're all, you know, decked out with face shields and these gloves, these winter gloves, you know, connected to the handlebar so people could use them. And so there were tons and tons of those, which I think are an option that that we should give a lot of thought to in, in the U.S., especially in urban areas. But then also there were tons and tons of the bikes with the uh, electric, the battery power, uh, the e-bikes. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that being helpful for somebody who's maybe not as, uh, who's, whose legs are not quite as strong as yours? Would that, is that a helpful thing for someone to consider? I love e-bikes. Um, absolutely love them. And, and I think that it's extremely positive uh, you know, you talked about the trailer as being an easy way for people to get involved with, you know, carrying things on their bikes, whether it be kids or cargo or groceries, whatever it is. I think the electric bikes are the exact same thing, just for 
individuals looking to ride a bike, you know, not everybody's fitness level is the same. Not everybody's abilities are the same. Um, you know, there are some folks, maybe you're a lawyer and you live in Kansas and, or Iowa, you know, a Midwestern state. It's not, um, that easy to get around on on a bike Mm -hmm. and that could open it up to you. Maybe, uh, you know, there are folks out there who aren't that healthy and, you know, might have bad knees or, you know, physical, um, issues that prevent them from, you know, pedaling for an hour on a bike. Well, an electric bike could really, it could give you a little bit of fitness, but also open you up to, um, you know, decreasing your dependence on the car and having more of an active lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think those things are excellent. And, you know, even for folks who have the, the bikes that we're talking about, the larger cargo bikes, you know, those are pretty heavy. If you have a mom that's carrying three kids and, and groceries in a box or a dad, you know, it's, it's easy. Uh, it's much easier to have an electric assist in there that would help you out. So it makes that trend, that life transition much easier. And for a lot of people, it's a more sustainable option. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I, I, I just, my thing is I, I'm glad we are getting more options in this, in this country. <laughs> I, I, thankfully these days, I don't have to spend much time in rush hour, but when, anytime I drive down here where I live, it's, you know, I 95, it's eight lanes. No, it's actually, it's 10, mm-hmm. it's 10 lanes. And you drive, sometimes I have to drive down to Boca in rush hour. And as I'm cruising along, uh, I look at the, the tiny number of cars that are in the carpool lane. And I look at the massive number of cars that just have one person in it. And I just, it bothers the engineer in me. I just think this is so crazy inefficient. Yeah. Why, why don't we all at least ride motorcycles? Cause I love to ride motorcycles. And I was thinking, you know, listen, you get a nice on a motorcycle. What I learned riding a motorcycle cycle you, you get a, you can get a very nice bike that's very comfortable you get yourself a decent maybe like a um, an aero stitch stu- suit or something like that that's just on on and off to cover up your street clothes and you can be well protected in case you go down you can be uh you know you can be much more comfortable i just think of the the money and the the money and the gas and the congestion and everything that we could save yeah. if we if we built more um if we just chose different options, but we live in such a car centric culture that you got to be pretty countercultural to, to do it. Well, people have to think outside the box a little bit. Um, because what's happening in the United States right now is that we have developed, you know, in totality for the automobile and for individuals to drive cars alone by themselves, mm-hmm. you know, going one way, and we've run out of money. Basically, the, the highway trust fund is empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, cities and states cannot sustainably fund their road maintenance on their own, so they're looking for federal grants, and the, the federal grants have run out. Um, and so as a country, we don't have a way to pay for that anymore. The gas tax hasn't increased um, since the 90s, and inflation has increased, but now all the other costs have gone up, and we haven't uh, we haven't funded that adequately. And so what happens in that case? They rob other pots of money. So um, the extra money that is needed for road maintenance on a national scale comes out of the general fund. So instead of that money going towards healthcare or education, now it's going towards roads. And people will have, you know, the folks who live in this country will have to make a 
decision on whether that's a worthwhile investment to mm-hmm. them. Right. Uh, personally, I think we could use the money a little bit better uh, because, you know, uh, obesity being such an epidemic in the United States, doing something that's active is beneficial. And if you can also make that transportation, wow, you've killed two or three things with one stone. Now that, uh, you know, maybe if a kid rides a bike to school, he gets to school, he or she gets to school more alert and awake, ready to learn. Mm -hmm. They've already done physical activity and, uh, they haven't caused the, the damage to the road that a vehicle would. Um, so there's, you know, if you expand your conception of transportation, if you expand that concept out, um, it can really affect other areas of life in, in really positive or negative ways. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. It's funny. That's one. There, I, I I'm so interested in in education, and and there are only a few things that seem that I've seen at least research on that seem to actually make a difference in how well children learn. And one of them is parental involvement, but one of the other ones is uh, physical activity. Is that the brain when when there's more physical activity, then the brain is more receptive, and and the person is able to learn more. But uh, as you see, budgets cut. One of the one of the things that you see going. <laughs> Is is PE and physical time, Absolutely. and I just think like, why don't you scrap half of the academic classes and fill fill one of them with a with with just total play? Fill the next one with maybe some structured physical activity and structured games, and fill the third one with I don't know shop class or something, and you'll get better results in the in the three or four academic periods that you still maintain than you're totally. getting with the six or seven that you're doing on a daily basis. But uh, if you're an adult too, that that uh, if you work for a larger corporation that mm-hmm. has a, a more global footprint, a lot of them have a benefit for you to ride your bike to work, and they'll actually pay you to ride a bike to work. Um, in the United States, a parking spot costs approximately $40,000. So if they can save mm-hmm. providing parking for you, then they'll turn around and give you some of that money back, and that will you know, help soften the cost of getting involved in this. But employers, they realize that too. Employers want their employees to be physically active and to show up. And they've also found that by paying people to ride their bike to work, they've seen their healthcare premiums go down over, over the whole corporation because now people are more active and fit. And so the company is saving money. It's, it's really a, a benefit, um, you know, whether you're young or old. Wow, very cool. Well, keep up, uh, keep up your work, and it sounds like you guys are at least leading it as an example. And I hope that more people follow. Uh, I think that's, I think that's awesome. So, anything you want to add as we go? Um, no, I'm, I'm good. I think, I think it was a great conversation, and, and I'm hoping uh, folks find it useful. Very cool. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Joshua. <laughs> I don't know about you, but for me, I figure if somebody can ride a bike in Colorado or in North Dakota or in Portland, <laughs> I don't have much of an excuse down here in, in sunny South Florida. Uh, thankfully, I've designed my life that I just don't really spend that much time driving anymore, but, and I'm making progress on that. Uh, but uh, 
still, I don't have any excuse, and neither of us has an excuse. So take that. I hope you find the information helpful and inspirational. Uh, check out the show notes for a link to a couple of articles on Christopher and his family. Uh, he's a pretty neat guy, and he hosts a – I don't think he mentioned on the show, but he hosts, I think, some kind of like weekly uh, show on bicycling on a, on a podcast or a local radio station there where he lives. So check that out. I'll, I'll put links to that in the show notes. That's it for today's show. As we go out here, I thank you all for your reviews. If you've enjoyed the content, consider becoming a member of the show uh, with the membership site, The Irregulars. There's lots of details on that, that but that's how I've designed to, uh, to pay the bills. Uh, and I really appreciate those of you who have signed up. It means the world to me of your placing your trust and confidence in me. Uh, I really appreciate that. Also, thank you for your reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. I'll read one review as we go out the door here. Uh, this review comes in from Dale, and it says on iTunes, the subject is informative and easy to listen to. Joshua is very well-spoken, making this podcast very easy to listen to. The content contains very detailed facts and advice. I like that he doesn't generalize and recommend to everyone to do the same thing. He always points out that everyone's decision is dependent upon their personal circumstances, and then he goes into the detail behind what circumstances are appropriate for each option giving us the necessary information to make our own decisions. Sounds very well educated about the topics he covers and doesn't hesitate to let us know when he's not as well informed about a topic that his guest is describing rather than fake it. He does tend to be a bit long-winded, as I am kind of being here, but that's only because he has so much useful information to share. Great podcast. Dale, thank you. That's a very generous review. Uh, I don't know how long today's show is, but I don't think it's as long-winded. So in the case of... With the goal of not being long-winded, I'm done for the day. Peace out, y'all. <laughs>